a little bit different. Not too bad. Um, yeah, I was pretty excited with this uh, when Sean presented the opportunity to come up and, and kind of partner in this series. And then found out that, that we were going to, you know, kind of restructure the sanctuary. Josh Looper actually did a, did a lot of work in this, coming up, setting this whole thing up. So if you guys see Josh, thank him for that. But uh, today it's going to be, it's a little different. We're not you know, up there, right? We're down here. Everything looks a little different, sitting a little different. The message is going to be different. It's going to be more of, you know, I'm just coming in kind of talking to you guys, right? Um, it's not, you know, somebody just preaching from up there. So I hope it feels a little different, right? Sean said it had this campfire feel. And that's kind of what we're looking for today, right? We just, we, we want to read some stories about Jesus and, and take a look at these things. So as we were preparing, right, as I was putting this message together and I heard that we were going to restructure this, you know, I was, I was thinking about, you know, you can't do this in a lot of churches, right? There's not a lot of churches you can do this in. Um, when it comes to churches, you know, this is my home church, but I'm actually, I'm, I, I kind of lean towards older churches. I've got a Roman Catholic background, so if you ask me what, you know, my favorite type of style is, I like that older style, that Roman Catholic style. I like wooden pews. I like the way they sound when they creak and they feel. Um, I like stained glass windows in churches. I just, I, that, that's my preference. But you definitely can't do something like this there. I mean, it's just not possible. So that's why I love what we've got in this space. It's dynamic and we can use it. But as we were putting it together, it had me really thinking about kind of church buildings in general and, and the good things that church buildings bring to a ministry, right? There's a lot of good things that the church building itself brings. Um, but there, what kind of crept in and I started thinking about is there's some things that are maybe, I don't want to say bad, but they're not necessarily good that comes along with church buildings and our attendance, especially when we start to call a church building our home. I'm going to explain that. And you may think at first, well, that, that's not the case, right? That should be a good thing. But hear me out. The thing that is not necessarily a good thing all the time is how comfortable we get with our church buildings. So we have a home church. We get kind of comfortable with our church buildings. And, and the comfort I'm talking about is the comfort that comes with consistency, the consistency of coming to the same place in the same time, in the same routine, and doing the same thing every Sunday. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We all have our routines on Sundays, right? Same day of the week, you try to wake up at the same time, you know, get your family or yourselves ready the same way. Uh, my wife and I always leave 10 minutes late every Sunday, so it's consistent. It falls along with that consistent pattern. We're comfortable with it. We're happy to show up 10 minutes late. Um, but you have that pattern, right? You probably drive in the same way. Many of you probably come in and even park in the same parking spot, Come in and have your same cup of coffee, talk to your same people, come in here and grab your same seat, right? It's what we do. It's routine. It's consistent. We're comfortable with it, right? And don't get me wrong. We want comfort and consistency with certain things in the church. We want comfort and consistency when it comes to doctrine and how we're representing the truth, how the message is being presented. We want consistency when it comes to decision-making in the church. All that's good. But that other consistency, that other comfort that we get that I was just talking about, it's a good thing, right, to have routines. But when it turns kind of the other way is when we start to get really comfortable doing all of that stuff here in this building, so comfortable that it becomes uncomfortable doing it outside of these walls. We get so comfortable hearing the gospel message here, so comfortable seeing people that we can talk to about Jesus here, that it becomes almost unnatural or uncomfortable to do it outside. We get so comfortable seeing worship songs in here that when we leave these walls, it gets uncomfortable to do it out there. And that's when it kind of turns into not so good of a thing. 
and myself included, I'm afraid so many times that when these church doors close behind me on Sunday, the gospel message closes up with it, right? I leave it here in these walls. And so that's when that, that, consi- that comfort that comes from consistency turns to not such a great thing. And that's why I was excited about this, right? Because you have your expectation of what's going to happen on a Sunday morning, but you come in and the seating's a little bit different, right? The stage is all reorganized. Did you guys know Sean played guitar, right? I didn't know Sean played. Not bad either. Don't ask the rest of the band people, but not bad, right? It was okay. He did all right. Um, but yeah, everything's a little different. So you're sitting here going, well, what's going to happen? All right, hopefully your expectation is just a little bit off. And that's what we want today because we're actually going to look at two stories in Jesus' ministry. Two big stories that if you've come to this church for a while, if you've read through your Bibles, if you have some kind of Christian background, you're familiar with Scripture, you're probably familiar with them. You're probably even comfortable with them. We're going to look at the story of Jesus calming the storm and Jesus healing the demon-possessed man in the tombs. Two big stories that you're probably familiar and comfortable with. You may even be so comfortable to say, I kind of know what this message is going to be already. I have an expectation for it. But what we'd like to do is just offset that a little bit. We're going to try to present these in just a little different way to see how they follow along this line of going on a journey with Jesus. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. If you've got a Bible, you look at your Bible on your tablet, your phone, whatever it is, if you could open it. Today we're actually going to be looking at... um, Mark, we're going to look at these stories in Mark, and chapter 4 is where they're going to start. Uh, but I'm not going to call anybody, but do, do me a favor. So in the, the first story, is Jesus calms the storm, it's in Mark 4. When you find the story, raise your hand for me. Nobody found the story? I'm not going to call on you. If you get to Mark 4, whether it's on your phone, your Bible, whatever, you find it. Okay. You got a couple hands, right? So the question is, you're looking for Jesus calms the storm. I told you it's in Mark 4. How'd you find it? Did you find it because you knew it was in Mark 4 and it started in verse 35? Or did you find it because there's a heading there that says, Jesus calms the storm? All right? Most of us get there and we find it because there's a heading that says, Jesus calms the storm. And I like headings. Headings are a good thing, but it's one of those things that gives me this kind of light, like, dislike, peace with Scripture. Not with God's Word, but how we organize it. Because headings are a good thing because it means you don't have to have scripture memorized. You can have a general idea of what you're looking for and go find that story, right? Go find that piece of scripture by the heading. And as readers, what it does, though, is it creates this natural starting and stopping point when we read. It's just what it does for us as humans, right? We go through this and we see, okay, there's a heading. That must be where the story starts. And then you get to the next heading. Well, that must be where the next story starts, so the other one ends, right? And it creates this natural start-stop point in scripture, But unfortunately, that creates a very unnatural reading of how Scripture was put together. See, Scripture wasn't just a bunch of stories that they cobbled together with random headings so they'd be in there. Scripture was put down intentionally. It was organized intentionally. It was written intentionally. We don't have all of Jesus' stories. I don't know if that's a surprise to you or not. We don't have everything Jesus did written down. We don't have all Jesus' miracles written down. But we do have these So there had to be an importance for us to have these. Not only do we have these, but they're here organized in a certain way. Sometimes they're organized uh, chronologically because it's telling its story in a timeline. Sometimes they're organized by theme because that's the story that's being told. Sometimes they're organized to prove a theological concept, right? But there's intentionality to it. What it's not intended to do is take these stories in isolation and just pull them out one by one, right? Because when we do that, what we actually do is we lose context of Why is the story here? Okay, so Jesus is going to calm a storm, but why are they even on a boat? 
right? Why, why are they out there? What led up to it? What's going to happen after it? That's the context that oftentimes we lose when we just read. And we were talking this concept, reading by the felt board, right? We're going to go beyond the felt board where you just have the big story stuck up there. We want to go beyond that. So before we even get there, right, Jesus, uh, Sean read a little bit of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but we should probably know what's happening before we even start this. Chapter 4, verse 35. And it's pretty cool. If you look through, you can go back. You don't have to go back to Matthew. Just go back to the beginning of Mark. It's only four chapters in. You read through that, you find some pretty cool things. You get to see things like how Jesus started his ministry, who he called, how he called them, right? You get to see how he went about his ministry. You get to see some pretty awesome things he did, how he starts to show his power, the healing power, the supernatural power of Christ. He heals paralytics. He heals a withered hand, right? He drives out demons. We see some pretty incredible things. In fact, they're mostly highlighted as part of our headings, right? They're mostly big felt board stories. In fact, if you were to ask yourself, just looking by the headings of the stories, what's the purpose of Jesus' ministry? You might say, well, it's to go out and heal people. It's to go out and drive out demons. It's to go out and do this supernatural stuff. That's the purpose of his ministry because that's what the headings say. But he actually tells us, if you dig into it, tells us pretty early on that wasn't the purpose. He tells us in Mark 1.38 that his purpose was actually to go out into the cities, not one city, into the cities to the people to proclaim the good news, to take the message out to the people. See, all of those things he did, the supernatural, miraculous stuff, that was great. But what that did was provide an understanding of the authority of the person who was getting ready to deliver the message. Okay? And, uh, you know, I look through this and I think about it a little bit. Sometimes we, we do this, but we kind of do it backwards. Um, we have events at this church all the time. When we're trying to reach people with the gospel message, sometimes what we'll do is events. We'll do men's steak night, women's coffee night, these different things. And oftentimes what happens is we do the, the big event to try to get people here and hope that they'll stay for a message, right? Or, you know, I don't want to call anybody out, Len. We'll do our youth ministry, right? And, and sometimes you like, you have, everybody wants to be involved in like games and playing and stuff. And then it's like, Good thing they can't drive because they might leave when the message is here because they check out, right? Because there's no more playing going on, right? And it's like what we hope for is that they're more interested in the message than they are in the event, right? That Jesus touched them, that they're, they, they come in contact with that. And so when I was reading through this, you know, you think to yourself, all of this is happening. People are bringing people to Jesus to be healed. They're, you know, he's healing all these things, driving out demons, all these miraculous things, these big events. But what happens when he just starts preaching? What happens when he's just sharing the message, and it's actually pretty cool. You look through this, the crowds actually grow. The crowds grow. They follow him. Not only that, but people from all around the region follow him. It's not just in one area, right? It's not just in one area. You actually see here, chapter 3 says that people from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon, people from all over the area are coming to hear the message. They're coming to be healed. They're coming just to press in and touch Christ, Right? because of who he is, the truth he's proclaiming, and the authority that he has. It's awesome, right? And I love this too because you got to understand his ministry. We want the context. He's not just going to the same synagogue on the same day of the week to talk to the same people. He's going to synagogues, but he's going to different synagogues. He's going out into the community. He's going across the shoreline, right? He's walking out and talking to people. He's taking the message out. That's the context you need to have about his ministry. And if we look at it, right, we get, you know, that context, right? Crowds going around, people following him, whether he's up on the hillside, whether he's down by the sea, the crowds are looking for him, following after, chasing after Jesus, okay? 
Think about that in our current church context today, right? You got this big building. Imagine if people were coming into here, right? If people were coming into here every Sunday and they're coming from Medina and they're coming from Doylestown and they're coming from uh, Seville and they're coming from Barberton and they're coming from Akron. People are coming here. Thousands of people are coming here. And the great thing is it's not just the numbers. They're coming here to hear the message preached, have their lives transformed. Healing is happening here. Transformation is happening. The message of Christ is being heard here. We would see that as success. We probably in our current church context define that as success, right? That's what success looks like. People are coming here to us, right? So I want you to have that picture, right? That's what's going on as we lead up for this. And I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 35. I'm not going to get very far, so just follow with me. Verse 35 says, On that day, right, he had just been preaching crowds, pressing in around. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. Now stop there. Take that picture that I had for you, that picture of success, that picture of crowds gathering in here, right? So we've got, imagine Scott Brooks, right, the head pastor here, he's here teaching, and crowds are just coming in to hear the word of God. And he, you know, through the power of Christ, people are being healed here. And people are traveling here, right, to find us, traveling here. And then all of a sudden, after a service one day, Scott looks at the elder board and says, this was great, guys. Let's go ahead and hop on a boat and go to Canada. As the elder board, we'd probably look at him like, what? Right? Like, you have all of this going on here. Like, the ministry is successful here, now. Not only that, but if you leave, not everybody, like people can't walk on water, right? Not everybody but Jesus. How are people all going to follow you, right? They're traveling around the land to get to you here. People are seeking you out. If you leave and go to, like, you're going to lose momentum. You're going to lose the ministry. But they go. So let's read on. And a great windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, we're all familiar with the story. Most of us are, right? Um, this is one of those big stories that, that in the Christian faith, right, that gets illustrated all the time. But as I'm reading through it, I've got to ask myself, were the disciples, were they more afraid during the storm or after Christ silenced it? You know, I've been, uh, I've been on a boat <laughs> a couple times uh, up on Lake Erie when a storm comes in. And I can understand the fear that these guys had, right? If you've ever been on the water when a storm rolls in, it rolls in fast, right? I mean, they roll in fast. You, you can see the dark clouds coming. Shoreline disappears. Other boats disappear. Before you know it, it's on you, and you've got to kind of just shut it down and ride it out, and hopefully you stay afloat. And it's scary. So I understand these guys' fear, right? I understand the fear of the disciples. I've been there, right? Not on this boat, but I've been there. It's scary. But I have to wonder to myself, all of that fear inside them, and then you see somebody calm the storm, the wind and the waves immediately, what are you more afraid of? <laughs> right? And, uh, but it's interesting. You have to look at this story and say to yourself, in context, all of that success on the shore, why did they get on the boat and go to the other side? 
Well, there's a lot of lessons in this story itself. You see, I don't know, the, G, the disciples were with Jesus up to the ministry to this point, right? They were following him. He was teaching them. They heard, they heard his message. They saw healing. I mean, he healed a paralytic before this, right? They saw miraculous things happening. They saw him doing the teaching. They heard him teach. They heard him say who he was. But I wonder to myself, if they hadn't gotten in the boat and gone this way and incurred this storm, would they really have understood who Jesus was? See, it's one thing to be healing people and everything, but to go and actually control nature with that power and that sovereignty, I mean, that's a whole other ballgame. You see this here. So you wonder to yourself, why did they have to get in that boat? Why did they have to leave the crowds? Why did they have to leave that ministry and go across? Would they really have understood not only how their faith was tested here, but they, would they really have completed that picture of who Christ is, his power and his authority over everything, if they wouldn't have gotten the boat? And, you know, as we look back, right, if we're just reading by titles, right, we're taking stories in isolation and reading it, the title for this one is Jesus Calms a Storm. Well, we got through here, through verse 41, and he's calmed the storm, right? So if the purpose of this whole event was to get out on the water so he could show the disciples something that they couldn't have seen otherwise, the storm has come, the storm has been calmed, the story seems to be over, right? Go back, continue the ministry on, Move on with the momentum and let's go, right? But that's not what happens, right? There's nothing here that says, oh, and they went back to the shore. At least my Bible doesn't have it. So they're still moving on. So there's got to be something more to it. The next title is Jesus Heals a Demon-Possessed Man, or a, demon, a Man with a Demon, right? That's in mine. Um, looks like it's not connected, like not connected, right? But let's read in the story a little bit. See, it says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, where Jesus had stepped out of the boat. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name's Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the bank into the sea and drowned. The herdsmen who were around fled and told in the city and the country, and the people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw a demon, the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened in the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This is a big story. Um, this one's actually one of my favorite stories in all of Jesus' ministry. Love this story. Uh, I know, you know, the church really, really clings to, uh, you know, all the way from children's ministry on up, clings to Jesus calming the storm, but this one's one of my favorites. Um, it's a little bit of a scary story, but there's so much in here. It's not just, you know, Jesus has a hatred for pigs, right? There's, there's something about it. Um, and it starts at the very beginning of this, right? So here's the interesting thing. This guy, right, 
This guy who's possessed by these demons, right? A legion of demons. Jesus gets to the shore. This guy's possessed by a legion of demons. Why doesn't he run away? Why doesn't he flee? Why don't the demons push this man back into the tombs where Jesus can't get to him, right? It's an interesting question. And that's why I love this story because what it shows is that these demons understood who they were dealing with. They understood who Jesus was. They understood the power and authority he had. And they understood that there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. And there's nothing they can do to overcome the power of Jesus. They could have gone. They could have run. They could have hidden. It was futile. And I think maybe that's a point we miss is that this guy runs to him and submits and says, please let us out of here, right? Rather than running, rather than hiding. Because even the dynamic realm understands who Christ is who the power that Jesus has. It's an awesome picture. I love it. And then we get to this broader story, this broader context that I think is really for all of us. It's for all of us and it's for all of, all of the people outside of these walls. You see, what it's showing here is that this guy who was a danger to himself, a danger to society, who was held down, shackled, chained, cutting himself, couldn't be held, was basically left alone, right? Isolated by himself had all of this stuff going on in his life, Jesus comes across and seeks this guy out, casts out the demons, heals this man. And it's a great picture because it shows us that Jesus isn't just about ministering to people in a synagogue. He's not just about ministering to people at this church. He's not just about ministering to people who were Jews or Gentiles who were seeking after him. He's not just about ministering to people who want to come see Jesus. Jesus is there for everybody. Jesus is there for everyone, no matter what is going on in your life. And it's, uh, it's really cool. I got to, um, I got to talk with uh, one of the leaders of a, a recovery ministry in the area and, and kind of see this played out in Scripture. I mean, really pretty awesome. It's really cool when you can see Scripture working out in people's lives. So there's this recovery ministry. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, really recovered. There's some people around. And what they're doing is they're kind of living this out. They're reaching out to the people who society would say need to be left alone, left to their own devices. They're not helpable, right? They're people that have addictions of all different kinds. Maybe they've been in and out in jail. Maybe they have a record of crime, right? There are people that we would look at and say, well, they just can't help themselves. They're just a danger themselves, and they're going to be a danger to me if I go near them. We need to let them alone, keep them locked up, you know, it, let them just sit there and wallow in their own sin and addiction. But these guys are doing this. This ministry is reaching out, and it's reaching out with the healing love of Christ to these people. It's pretty awesome. They're going to these people, and they're saying, come here, we've got something for you, right? No matter what's going on in your life, we've got the message of Christ, and Jesus Christ is for you. Jesus Christ wants to heal you, and Jesus Christ can heal you. It's an amazing thing. I was so encouraged talking with them. I hope that ministry continues to thrive, and I think it will. But as we look back at this, right, I want you to be in context again. Okay, so we had all this success on the other side, right? This what would look like ministry, motivation, and, and success, and momentum, and everything going on. They got in the boat, and we seem to see that there's something that happened there that maybe they couldn't have got on the other side, but that doesn't seem like enough. So why did they have to leave? When we get through this story, it appears that we find our answer, right? Right? Because Jesus needed to show us 
who he's for, that he wasn't just for those people on the other side, that he wasn't just for the people where the ministry felt comfortable. Jesus isn't just for those of us in the church right now where we're comfortable with our routine and everything that happens here, that Jesus is for everybody, and that there's no length he won't go to reach people outside of our comfort level, right? And, and once again, if we go back to our title, Jesus heals the man with a demon, the man with the demons healed. Christ made it all the way across there. We've learned a fantastic lesson. So the story should be over. But there's something that just bothers me about this, right? And it, hopefully it gets you a little bit. He went all this way to heal one guy. He had thousands of people on the other side of the sea where he already was. Thousands of people coming to him from all areas around. Hundreds of people gathering around him to be healed. People pressing on him to be healed. If he wanted to prove a point by healing somebody, I'm sure there was plenty of people around to be healed. If the point of his ministry was to go ahead and heal people to show people the love of Christ, there was plenty around there to do it, right? So why go to all these lengths? Why put people in danger with the storm? Why subject himself to this man with the legion of demons? Why do all this stuff for one guy, right? Just to heal one guy? Let's finish the story. It says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And here's the kicker, guys. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And if we go to the very next line, it says he crossed again to the other side of the sea. The story is complete. Now, the, 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 uh, the Decapolis in there, I don't know, Sean mentioned it too. If you're not familiar with that, what that is is that was a set of 10 Roman-controlled cities, basically on the east and the south side from the Sea of Galilee. 10 cities, Roman-controlled cities over there. This guy, when Jesus healed him, right, he didn't just go back to his house and say, oh, good, I'm healed, Right? Good to go for me, head back on my daily life. In fact, he didn't even go back just to his church on Sunday mornings, just to tell the people in his area or his city about it. What he did was he took what happened to him. He took that news. He took the revelation of who Christ is out to those cities, out to those 10 cities, and those people marveled about it. They marveled. And the reason he did that, right, the reason we find that Christ went through all this effort is because the gospel has to move. That was the purpose of Jesus' ministry. The purpose of his ministry wasn't to just go out and heal people. The purpose of his ministry was to move the message of the gospel to everybody. That's what it is. And we lose that a little bit if we just read these stories in isolation, right? Jesus went, he left everything that was comfortable in success, Right? everything that was comfortable with success, put people in danger, went across the sea to heal one guy, not to heal him, so that through that one guy, many people could hear about the message of Christ. You know, it's, uh, I mentioned the recovery ministry, and uh, it's the most encouraging thing about that conversation I had with those guys was that they're not actually leading that ministry based off of headings or titles. So the title, if you will, the name of the ministry is really recovered. 
And so if we, we looked at it from that perspective, you might think that healing people with the love of Christ is the purpose of that ministry. But talking with them, they get it. Talking with them, they'll tell you the purpose of their ministry is to go ahead and heal. That's part of it. But it's by healing them, healing them of their addiction or whatever it is, they're able to share the gospel message and get them on a direction where they can share that message with other people. The purpose of the ministry is about sharing the message of the gospel. We look at it sometimes and we don't see below. We don't see past the felt board of what it actually is. It's about sharing the message of the gospel. And so I, I want you to ask yourselves, guys, you know, look at it in the current context of this church, right? Whether this is your home church, look at your home church. We have been in this building a little over a year, okay? And for all intents and purposes, we would say that we have fairly successful ministry here. We have people coming here. The attendance is growing significantly just in a year and a half. Not only that, it's not about the numbers here either. We're seeing transformation. We're seeing lives transformed. People are coming to these services, these worship areas, and they're interacting with the Holy Spirit, right? The presence of God is here on Sunday mornings, right? People are getting healed. We look at that and we say, yes, that's success, but is it enough? Is it enough for us to be comfortable with people out there coming in here looking for the healing love of Christ? Or should we be going outside of those walls and sharing it with everybody who hasn't heard? Are we too comfortable? Are we too content? And you know, when you start talking about, when you start talking about going out and sharing the gospel message, it kind of rubs a chord with some people because and I've heard a lot of the excuses. I have a lot of the excuses. It's not really for me, right? I'm not wired that way. I'm not good at speaking to people. I don't want to ruin relationships, right? I'm not a teacher or a pastor or a theologian. I don't really know how to do it. What if there's tough questions? I won't know how to answer them, right? We have all these excuses. All of us have excuses why we're not going to share the gospel message outside of here. I do too, Right? Well, I'm really good at serving in another area of ministry, so I'm just going to stick to that and I'll leave it to the professionals. But is that really what Jesus has called us to? You see, what I love is great about this is, do you think this guy who was cutting himself in the tombs, trying to be bound by chains and everybody left him alone, you think he was sitting back there going, man, I can't wait till Jesus comes because I'm a really good speaker and I can't wait to go tell people about it. I mean, no, Right? You think the guys who were the fishermen said, man, I love fishing, but I just want to go do public speaking. I just want to go ruin relationships. No, right? I mean, that's not, that's not what we read. But what we know is that Jesus uses everybody in every situation for the same purpose, and it's sharing the message of the gospel. And here's, if you guys want encouragement, right? So that sounds a little rough. We want to get back to the level of comfort and encouragement about this. Here's what's great. The power of the message of the gospel to transform lives is not in who's giving it. The power of the message isn't in me, it's not in you, it's not in the pastors here. We don't have the power of the message, we don't have the power to transform lives, none of that does. The power of the message is in the message itself, it's in Christ. That's where the power of the message is. You know, it's interesting, you look back at this and it's, look back at what the disciples, the guys who went on the journey with Christ, look at what they actually did. Were they the ones who were gathering the crowds around? No. Were they the ones that calmed the storm? No, that was Jesus too. Were they the ones that cast out the demon? Oh, well, that's Jesus. Were they the one that healed that guy? 
No, that was Jesus too. See, the only thing those guys did was they went ahead and got in the boat and went on a journey with Christ. That's it. Jesus is the one that's going to work, right? The team's going to come up here. We're going to do a couple songs at the end. I just want you to think to yourself, am I comfortable with what my ministry is? Am I comfortable with what this picture of success looks like? Or am I not reaching the people I need to? Am I willing to step out of my comfort zone a little bit and reach the people in my circle? Sean showed you that. that we're not going across the world. We're not trying to conquer Cleveland. We're not trying to conquer Akron tomorrow, right? We're trying to get over there and reach your neighbor, trying to reach your family member, trying to reach your coworker. That's what it is. And yes, by these stories, Jesus shows us that you may be put in some difficult situations, some dangerous situations like the storm. You may have to deal with some unsavory people like the guy that was in the tombs that was cutting himself. But through all of that, right, through all of that, what are you actually being asked to do by Christ? He just wants you to get in a boat and go on a journey with him. Go on a journey with the gospel. Thanks, guys.